eliminating prescription errors. Today, I speak with MetaWare CEO and co-founder, Dr. Giddy Stein. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know, talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Prescription errors cause patient harm. That's indisputable. The literature is filthy with examples of all kinds of variations on this theme. Today, I speak with MetaWare CEO and co-founder, Dr. Giddy Stein. MetaWare is laser-focused on eliminating prescription errors using artificial intelligence slash machine learning to flag mistakes in real time. The MetaWare system is 80% effective, which is exponentially more effective than our current algorithm-based drug interaction and other rules engines. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Giddy. Hi, Stacey. Thank you for having me today. Pleasure to be here. Tell me about the day that you realized the real and present danger of prescription errors. I always thought that teaching and practicing medicine will be the main thing that I do in my life, but all that change a few years back when a nine-year-old boy died when his primary care physician simply clicked on the wrong entry and they pulled down menu list of the electronic medical records and, and gave him the wrong drug by mistake. He wanted to prescribe the boy with Singular, which is a drug for asthma, but clicked on the next entry, which was Syntrom, a very potent anticoagulant or warfarin, another name. And basically all the current available systems have failed to identify the tragedy and the boy fell off his bike a week later, dying of intracranial hemorrhage. Now, when you think about the tragedy of the boy, it wasn't bad judgment on the part of that physician. It was a slip-up. It's like killing someone with a typo. And, and the mere thought that someone could die from a click of a button or a typo was haunting to me as a physician, as a parent. So I thought we should do something about that. How does this compare to other factors which cause mortality or morbidity? Specifically for the U.S., it's estimated that out of the 4 billion prescriptions out there uh, each year in the U.S., 8 million will contain life-threatening ills, which translates into hundreds of thousands of casualties and injuries and a preventable wasteful health care cost of more than $20 billion annually. And that's really an underestimation of the true burden of the problem. And are a lot of these typos, effectively, as you just were describing, or are they people actively prescribing the wrong medication? Medication errors is a huge basket of, of, of many things. And, and it's a complete pipeline that starts with the physicians, through the nurse, the, the pharmacy, and ends up at the patient. And there are many points in which harm can be done. So... So we concentrated on the physician part and the surveillance part. And although these typos are really uh, extremely rare, they hold a, a, a very high chance of catastrophic uh, outcomes. For example, giving the wrong drug to the wrong patient. For example, insulin is a, one of the most commonly used medications for diabetes. But if you would prescribe it mistakenly to someone who doesn't have diabetes, it could kill him. And, and these are the type of errors that we're trying to find. But not only that, 
but we know that most of the adverse drug events that can actually cause harm to the patients happen somewhere down the line after the medication was already authorized and given to the patient, and something changed to the patient's status, which rendered that active medication dangerous to that patient, either a change in the vital signs or blood tests or diagnose anything that would change the status of the patient. And we found that more than 85% of the life-threatening errors happen down the line, and currently there's no good system to help track that and, and stop it at hand. And I guess there wasn't a good system in the past when we had paper prescriptions. It's just nobody, there, there was no data. So no one could really trace, you know, you, you couldn't do the activity log and, and figure out exactly where the error had transpired within the, the paper system. If somebody misread something, it was fairly invisible at the macro level. Like you couldn't do any roll-ups. I think some of them were reduced, especially the, the dosing part and the drug interaction part. But the new types of errors that were not existent in the manual prescribing world are much more hazardous. And even though they're probably less common, their impact on patient safety are huge, like the one that killed the boy. The, the fact that a completely different drug out of the blue that should never have been prescribed to the boy just by clicking the wrong entry they put that manualist reached the patient could not have been made during in manual prescribing. Well, I would dispute that. There was a case in Washington, maybe Washington, uh, D.C., maybe a year ago, where a woman died because it was an outpatient and, and the doctor's handwriting was just so terrible and she went and filled some kind of, you know, it was a drug that... How did the pharmacy ever fill this with some like chemo drug? And she wound up taking it instead of it was a similar situation. Like, you know, she was supposed to be prescribed in decongestant or something. And she wound up with some crazy chemotherapy product. So uh, maybe at a grand scale, what you're saying, like this is happening much more frequently than the doctor's bad handwriting had resulted in some script going totally off the rails. First of all, you're right. I mean, there, there's nothing which is foolproof to errors. And, and these, these errors might also be present with terrible handwriting. But they're much, as you said, less common. The flip side of that is our ability to prescribe, especially for inpatients, medications for the wrong patients. For example, if a nurse comes in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and says, what about the insulin dose for room number 15? And I, instead, I give it to room number 16 because I was in his file and didn't change the record, then these type of errors, again, could not happen or very rarely happen uh, in, in manual prescribing. When I wrote the name of the patient, wrote the name of the drug and gave it directly to that patient. These dosage errors, 100 times, 1,000 times of the dosage just by the elbow on, on the zeros, all of these are very, very easy to create uh, errors in, in electronic prescribing and, and are extremely rare in manual prescribing. Yeah, there's a, a saying, it's something like, if you increase the efficiency of, a, of an error, you create errors at scale. And I think following what, what you just said, and trying to look at uh, quite an interesting comparable industry, which is the aviation industry. Right. So the pilot in the cockpit has like a thousand buttons that he can push and, and pull and the aircraft is quite a complex machine to run. But still, you know, very few planes fall out of the sky. And that is because the safety issue 
is dealt in a systematic way in aviation. Uh, in medicine, especially with IT systems and, and electronic prescribing, the approach to patient safety is not systematic. It's always local. Let's try to avoid this type or that type. And, and when there is no systematic approach to reducing those errors and to enhance the patient safety, then we get these 400,000 patients dying every year from medication errors in the U.S., according to the Institute of Medicine report from 2013. So we must try to, to look at the solution of this problem from a systematic way and not try to, to pinpoint a specific solution for a specific type of problem. That's an interesting analogy that you use, the airline industry. The airline industry's concern with safety and preventing planes from dropping out of the sky and killing everyone aboard. Clearly, the airline industry places great emphasis on passenger safety. But exactly as you say, the prescription errors are kill more patients every year probably than airlines ever did. Why are leaders of health systems and in the healthcare industry unaware of the magnitude of this issue and therefore they're not addressing it? Is this just simply not visible? You know, so there's not the, you know, obviously plane drops out of the sky. There's a huge public relations outcry and people stop flying maybe. So there's some sort of market force at play. But why the completely different reaction? So I, I think several factors uh, come to play here. First, I, I think the numbers are out there. There's no news about it. There's a, in, the first uh, data on medication errors came out of the Institute of Medicine in, two, in the year 2000 with a very uh, alarming report named To Air is Human, which stated between uh, 40,000 and 100,000 casualties every year for medication-related errors. The update to that report was in 2013, when it stated somewhere between 200 and 400,000 patients. So numbers are huge, and, and it's a known fact. But still, there are several factors that contributed to the fact that it's not uh, on the prime uh, target list of, of healthcare institutions today. First of all, is the notion that medication-related errors are the it, it's it's the uh, headache of the pharmacy. We we physicians have nothing to do with it. And I think this is a, a very disturbing type of, of perception because at the end of the day, the ones who are liable for the medications and safety of the patients are the physicians who are actually signing that, that order. And the uh, pharmacists and the clinical pharmacists may help, but it's not their problem. It's the patient's problem and it's the physician's problem. It's the problem of everyone who's dealing with that patient and treating him. And this is concept is, is critical as compared to the pilot state of mind in the aviation industry, that it's his problem that the airplane gets up and lands in the right place with all patients on board safe and sound. So, so this concept of uh, responsibility, I think, is, is one of the key issues. The second thing is that the IT infrastructure in the hospitals, which is the mainstay of the electronic uh, medical uh, record systems, is usually maintained by the IT of the hospitals. IT is usually never mission critical in almost any organization, although it is. And it should be regarded, especially in medicine, as a medical device in terms of its ability to kill patients, its ability to jeopardize 
the whole functionality of the hospital and to compromise patient safety. Dealing with the IT infrastructure of the hospital should not be the responsibility solely of the IT, but mostly of the ones who are uh, in charge with the patient safety, the chief medical officer, the chief patient safety officer. These are the important stakeholders that should look after that. And the last thing is that medical institutions uh, have a lot of their mind in terms of IT responsibilities, the meaningful use, one, two, 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 three hundred, they'll have all these things lined up uh, that they have to do in order to comply with regulations and other things. And, and patient safety is probably not uh, in their top priority, not because they don't want to, it's just not, it's less important than the other things that can maybe bring more money to the, to the hospitals, more reimbursements, et cetera, et cetera. So complex answer. We've got ensuring that the right people are taking responsibility. Ultimately, we've got a system here and every actor in the system or every agent in the, in the system has a responsibility for the outcome that transpires. Just because it's not like the last person that touches it is the one that has total responsibility, i.e. the pharmacist. That things that transpired earlier in the process have an equal bearing on the outcome, or let's just say a meaningful bearing on the outcome. So that was your your first one, making sure that the right people are taking responsibility. And secondly, you brought up the control of IT. So kind of what you're suggesting is IT is always a means to an end. And when it becomes an end unto itself, that's when you kind of lose track of the end game and get lost in the in the sauce. And then thirdly, provider organizations are clearly being dragged in a whole bunch of different directions and through this multiplicity of priorities. Actually, I'm not sure if that's a whether you can say you have a multitude of priorities, <laughs> because obviously priorities are supposed to be the most important things. It almost sounds like we're getting lost in things that are less of a priority and, and therefore losing track of the essentials. Would that be a good summation? Yes, perfect. Well, thank you. thank you. Yeah. So you saw all of this happening and it came to a fine point when you saw the death of this of this child, which clearly was, was haunting. And you decided to start MetaWare. What exactly specifically problem does does MetaWare solve? Because we've kind of talked about a number of different tentacles, you know, like aspects of this of this issue. How are you thinking about this? obviously sprawling issue relative to what you're attempting to fix with MetaWare? When we thought about how the best way to approach it in terms of solution, in front of me was always my resident at two o'clock in the morning, didn't sleep for two days, had 40 patients already admitted, 10 went in line. For each of them, he has to know their files by heart and prescribe between 10 and 30 new medications uh, upon admission. Uh, for outpatients, it's similar, but slightly different uh, numbers. First thing that I wanted to think about is what is the possible mechanisms that he could make a mistake, assuming that uh, he knows his job. So what kind of typos, what kind of misses could happen in different locations, in different places in, in the workflow that might cause him to give the wrong drug or not stop the, an offending drug uh, in place. And we have to do that in a way that will bubble up only the catastrophic potential errors as a rare event as to not 
cause a high false alarm rate resulting in alert fatigue in which the physicians will uh, disregard the alert altogether. So trying to really look at it from a systematic way. And we came with, with a solution that is basically sli- split into two parts. The first part is a smart spell checker for prescriptions, really trying to get these rare events in which the physician just clicked on the wrong drug or uh, clicked on the wrong patient. And this is based on advanced machine learning algorithms that crunch millions of electronic medical records to identify prescriptions who are an outlier to the normal behavior patterns of physicians treating similar patients. So in a sense, when a physician enters a new prescription to the system, we take that specific patient and analyze what is the spectrum of medications according to our algorithms that he is likely to receive in this specific clinical scenario by this specific physician. And if the prescribed medication is a complete outlier to that spectrum, then we would raise a red flag. So this is the first part. The second part is continuing surveillance on the active medications. So when I prescribe a medication, let's say for an outpatient, which is active for months, then we surveil this active medication throughout its lifespan and monitor for any changes in the patient status, which might render that active medication an outlier to that patient uh, scenario. For example, if I prescribe an antihypertensive drug and two weeks later, new blood test comes in which shows maybe renal failure or electrolyte disbalances, so we automatically know how to associate that laboratory abnormality with a potentially offending drug and send an asynchronous alert based on our statistics and algorithms that say, in this scenario, this medication become an outlier, maybe you should reconsider doing something about that. So these two elements, the spell checker and the active surveillance, basically give the physician uh, or provide them with a safety net that is very difficult to fall on real catastrophic stuff doing so. But if, of course, he chooses to do otherwise, it's his privilege. We're not saying he's wrong. We're just saying that what he did is an outlier and it be maybe a, a justified outlier. And right now we have enough data on almost 3 million lives in retrospective, in prospective, in active deployments, in U.S. data, Israeli data, that we can actually show that this system actually works and delivers. At this juncture, you have taken the MetaWare system and piloted it in several large institutions, I believe, in Israel, and you're starting to do more work in the United States. But the results have been very good, very positive. Yes, unfortunately for the patients. Because we started off with a large retrospective pilot in Israel on more than 400,000 patients, 44 million prescriptions, really a good chunk of data, finding almost 6,000 patients with life-threatening ills associated with early mortality, longer hospital length of stay, and recurrent admissions. So let me just interject. So what you did was you looked over retrospective data and you plucked out like, wow, this person received a prescription that was certainly not intended. And yikes, look at that outcome. You know, so you went through and you plucked out all of those instances. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. When we sat down with the prescribing physicians on a few hundred sample cases, we found two things. First, we were extremely accurate. More than 80% of the time, 
it was true alerts. And this is compared to less than 10% accuracy of the current drug interaction and rule-based systems that are installed today. But the most frightening thing is that in the vast majority of the cases, we have found that the physicians were not aware that an error had happened unless we have showed it to them in retrospect in their own medical records. This really explains why we think that the, the numbers that are dictated today as a number of errors out there is a severe underrepresentation of, of the true burden of the problem. And when we sat with a few of the risk managers in, in the different uh, healthcare institutions, we came to them with a list of hundreds of patients, many casualties. They, they didn't know about any of them because the physicians didn't know that they mistakenly killed someone. And so the risk manager didn't know about it. So the statistics are much lower than what actually is out there. Once we finished that, we said, okay, maybe the problem is in Israel. Let's, let's test it on, on U.S. data. So we partnered with uh, uh, Dr. David Bates, the chief quality officer at the Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston. In an academic uh, a trial, a clinical trial, we analyzed, again, retrospectively, 800,000 outpatient records from Mass General Hospital and the Brigham Women's Hospital. And we actually split those records into two. 400,000 records were used to teach our models, and the rest of the 400,000 patients were used to, to simulate, to, to find the errors. And out of these 400,000 patients, we found, again, almost 12,000 patients with significant errors with more than 75% accuracy. And in the vast majority of the cases, the research team led by Dr. Bates has concluded that the physician should have changed his prescribing following the alerts that we provided. And this was published in a high-impact academic journal in January of this year uh, in the JAMIA, Journal of uh, American Medical Informatics Association. Wow. So something that you just said really struck me, that the physicians themselves really don't know. They, he or she, wrote the script and walked out of the room and thinks all is well and, and had no idea that there was something that transpired on the back end. So maybe, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier about how this happened, and maybe it's a little bit less about personal responsibility and a little bit more about no feedback loop. Exactly. And we know for a fact from the literature that physicians who made mistakes and are aware of these mistakes, especially with a grave outcome, have a very difficult journey. Not, not talking about liability, but, but the guilt and the shame. And, and they, sometimes they even quit completely me uh, practicing medicine. They have a post-traumatic stress disorder-like syndrome. And, and in cases when these errors were due to a typo that, you know, it's like, how can you blame them for that? Because it's, you know, everyone makes typos, but it can ruin their career and lives, let alone talking about, of course, about the patients, but, but also the physicians. So it's not that they, if, if someone can tell them, hey, are you sure you want to do that? Then, you know, this could change the routine. And just to show that our next phase was to, to test our system live. And, and our biggest concern was that physicians would disregard our alert as they're used to discarding the current rule-based systems. And, and this was uh, our concern. So when we went live in Sheba Medical Center, which is a 2,000-bed uh, tertiary hospital in Israel, the biggest in the Middle East, uh, we started analyzing the response of the physicians. And what we found that 
the response rate was more than 80% to alerts in real life by the physicians using our system. And in most of the cases, they actually changed the prescribing within minutes following the alerts that we provided. And this is done while they're continuing to ignore the current rule-based systems. And this, I think, was the best evidence to, to the fact that when you present physicians with meaningful insights at the point of care in a way that they can easily understand and, and it is actionable, they will respond to it. Nobody wants to make a mistake, let alone physicians who bear the responsibility for that. Today, because of the ease of which we can kill patients with the click of a button, it's a frightening experience. From a clinician standpoint, what happens is I'm typing into the computer, I'm ordering the medication, and I take a bite of my power bar, <laughs> my hand slips, I type two, three zeros, you know, instead of one, and then there's an alert that pops up from MetaWare on my computer. And like, what does the alert say? Like, how does this alert differ from what a clinician might see in a rules-based system that makes it 80%, did you say more effective or 80% effective? 80% effective. 80% more effective would heighten the response rate for the current system from 10% to 18%. But <laughs> our response rate is 80% and up. So it's a completely different uh, scenario. So uh, you know, most of the uh, rule-based systems out there are mostly related to drug interactions and allergy checkers, and they usually give a, a long list of why they think this is an error and, and what the physician should do and the reference to what he should do, and, and most of these alerts are really meaningless, and the physicians just don't read them, they just click and move on. But our alerts, first of all, we try to make them look completely different from a visual point of view, so they would know how to distinct between our alerts and their alerts. And our alert could go something like, hey, dude, you're prescribing anti-thrombotic medications to a patient with severe thrombocytopenia or low platelet counts. Are you sure you want to do that? Yes or no? A very simple six-word sentence. That's it. No junk, no text, no clicks. Just click and move on. And because this is probably a typo, it's, there's no alternative that he should consider. He just should cancel, cancel this and move on. And, and this is probably the response of most physicians. So the key is first, very uh, completely different looking alerts. And second, very short clinical actionable sentences, click and move on. Obviously, your system relies on data. And right. if it is unclear what diagnoses the patient has or it's unclear what the full spectrum of meds that patient is taking, then the alerts that you would be able to offer are going to decline in, in quality by some proportion. And this is pretty much the state of affairs, especially in the United States. How do you deal with that known issue? Obviously, if we would have designed a system that would work only on perfect data, we would be in the problem. But we fully understand that the data is mostly fragmented and many of the diagnoses are uncoded. So an integral part of our system is really trying to understand the clinical scenario that the patient is in and gather all kinds of clues that would hint us towards 
the right uh, clinical scenario, for example. Only, you know, 30% of all patients with diabetes in the United States are coded for diabetes. So as, as you said, 30% don't have these codings. But if they have blood tests which show maybe high glucose and maybe they have a past medication of uh, diabetes-related drugs and maybe they visited the diabetes clinic and maybe they have complications of diabetes like retinopathy or or neuropathy or all kinds of of diabetes-related adverse outcomes, then we could take all this data and manage it in a way that it will, all of them will be a diabetes-defining criteria. Now, of course, we do that not, not for individual indication, but more of understanding the clinical scenario in which the patient is in with multiple comorbidities, multiple medications, etc., etc. So we're not only looking at the diagnosis, but also looking at those more soft data points that emerge over a timeline to really get a sense of what's going on with this patient. Let me maybe give you just one example. If a patient is suddenly prescribed with a drug for uh, cardiac arrhythmias, and he has no, nothing in his past that would maybe suggest that, but maybe a half a year ago, some other physician prescribed him with a completely different drug that is correlated with cardiac dysrhythmias, this would be enough for us to say, well, maybe, maybe it's right for him, right? Another angle of this would be the placement of, of, the, phys- uh, of the patient. If a patient is in a maternity world, the chances of her receiving uh, chemotherapy, uh, for example, are extremely low. So looking at the placement, looking at the history, the, the text, the physician's notes, all of that, taking all of that and crunching that into a one model that describes the likelihood of a patient receiving an individual drug is basically uh, what we pride as, as knowing how to do taking under account, as you said, that the data is fragmented. What's next for you? You know, like, obviously, you're embarking on a a foray into the United States and and U.S. provider organizations. What's your plan to get the message of prescribing errors and their prevalence out there, I would think, as one prong of the strategy, but then also to help organizations prioritize the, the fix? We take several steps uh, to do so. First of all, we're trying to make as much noise as we can, as you see, but also uh, put a lot of emphasis in academic publications, which are read by the chief medical officers, the chief information officers, the chief quality officers of the healthcare institutions to open their eyes to some concrete data, uh, such as the the Harvard report that was published uh, earlier this uh, year, and we have more and more coming from Harvard and from other places on this topic. The second is trying to partner with key electronic medical records providers, having us our system on board as part of their solution as a differentiator, and maybe as compared to, to their competitors, but also working with companies like medical malpractice insurance, uh, companies trying to convince them that we are able to actually reduce the risk for malpractice in healthcare institutions. We have the data to show for it. And therefore, if they could 
reduce the pay uh, as for any institution that is installing malware, it will be of, of, of the benefit to all. Very similar to the way that uh, Mobileye, which is the company that, that produces uh, a safety software, anti-collision software for, for cars, is basically reimbursed by the insurance companies because they actually reduce the uh, reduce the, the premium to any anyone who's buying a car with these uh, these measures. So this is one approach that we're trying to um, uh, to convey, both from top bottom up and from top bottom wherever we can. Uh, we're trying to push our system, but going forward, we now understand that prescription errors are very important and it's a, it's a good business. But our main value is by our ability to really understand the clinical situation of the patient and assess the development of disease over time. And this will enable us to produce many types of solutions down the road, which are patient safety centered, which will augment uh, our current offer, such as our ability to identify patients who are at risk for opioid abuse, our ability to identify gaps in care, our ability to identify patients at risk, and really change and really bring to the point of care these decision uh, abilities with very, very high accuracy and, and with actionable results. And if someone is interested in learning more, they should go to metaware.com? Yes, I'd be happy if they would. Excellent. Dr. Giddy Stein, I thank you so much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.